Just keep standing for a minute. Put the I'm desperate for you lyric on the screen, please. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time an alcoholic got up and said, I don't need the alcohol? When was the last time you saw a meth head say, yeah, I don't need the meth? They will steal. They will hustle. They will grind for the meth. They're desperate. An alcoholic says, where's the bottle when you wake up? They say, where's the bottle at lunch? They say, where's the bottle when I get home? Where's the bottle before I go to bed? They're desperate. Five-minute devotion during the day is not desperate. That's not desperate. That's just checking a box in your to-do list. We need to be desperate. If I take the bottle away from an alcoholic, they're lost without it. If I take the meth away from a meth head, they're lost without it. That's what we're singing about. And we're going to sing this again. And I want us to sing like we're Jesus addicts and addicted to Jesus. That's where life is. Let's sing it like we're desperate. And I, I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. And I, I'm desperate for you. I'm so desperate for you, Jesus. And I, I'm lost without you. This is the air we breathe. This is the air we breathe, your holy presence living in me. This is my daily bread, this is my daily bread, your very spoken to me. Sing one more time. And I, I'm desperate for you. And I, I'm lost without you. One more time. And I, desperate for you and I I'm lost without you love the air father heavenly father I just pray that you would be the air we breathe we're thinking about you when we're filling out the report. We're thinking about you when we're driving down the road. We're thinking about you as we're putting our kids to bed. We're thinking about you as we sit and eat dinner, Lord. We're thinking about you even during our kids' ball games. We're thinking about you, Lord. You are the constant. 
You are what we are desperate for. Lord, when the addicts sitting at their kids' ball games, they're not thinking about their kids' ball games. They're thinking about when they can get their next fix. Lord, may we just, may you become our fix. May you become the very thing that we're desperate for. Because we know without you what we are. We are addicts to ourselves. We're addicted to control. We are addicted to not trusting. We are addicted to negative emotions. We are addicted to things on the internet. We are addicted to identities that you say we're not. We are addicted to everything but that which gives life, which is the Holy Spirit. And we want to think we're alive, but the Bible says that yet we are dead in our sins. We are dead to you. And Lord, a dead person doesn't respond to anything. Lord, may we not be dead in our spirit. May we, may we be quickened and alive and made new through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen. You guys can be seated. Thanks, guys. Children, you can go on out the middle aisle. And uh, as they say in one of my favorite movies, Run Away. Run Away. I don't have a holy hand grenade or anything, but you may run away. Some of you are going, what is he talking about? Lynn just touched my hand as if don't go there, so I won't. You're with me, though, right? Yeah, never mind. It is, it is true what they say. Preachers are by themselves. All right. Okay, thank you. All right. Well, listen, if you are, uh, if you are here and you're a man, and I want to encourage you to be a part, come to the Roar Conference, as Brent talks about uh, what it means uh, to be a man, to take on those, those five man killers that every man faces just inherently as men and who we are. Uh, breakfast, we'll serve breakfast at 8, and the conference will begin at 9. Uh, it's $30, but I promise you that it's going to be worth every penny. Um, and we're going to be giving away door prizes and giving prizes away. Um, and there'll be manly prizes. Are we good? Men, are we good with that? Okay, first, how many men do I have in the room? If you know you're a man, please raise your hand. Yes, okay, there we go. There's the deep, uh, all right. Anyway, I'm not going to, I mean, I just need to stop. All right, anyway, we've been going through symbols of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit as wind. We've talked about the Holy Spirit as fire. And looking at those things, today we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit as symbolized by wine. And this is very important. This is, this, is a, this is key. And I think as we go through this, this morning, we're going to find three things that wine is. Now, some of you are like, yes, where's my bottle and my glass? We're talking about that. We're talking about the Holy Spirit as Wine. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, and he tells them, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He says, Do not be drunk on wine. In other words, 
Don't get buzzed. Don't be drunk. It leads to actions and comments and thoughts and things that are not becoming of a Christian. Now, I don't need to camp out there and talk about why you don't need to be drunk. Just if you've ever been to a party and you've stayed sober, you know exactly why, right? No, nobody's ever done that? All right, well, I can tell you from having gone to Ball State. I'll just leave it at that, right? So, but he also says that instead, or on the contrary, however, be filled with the Spirit. Now, you and I won't understand this. We'll read it, but if you were living in the city of Ephesus, or anywhere in Greece or Turkey at the time, one of the things the Roman Empire did is when the Roman Empire took over an area, the Roman Empire would allow the local people to continue to operate how they operated. So Israel kind of got, Israel got to keep their temple. The Greeks got to continue to be Greeks and so on. They just brought in a few other Roman laws to kind of put on top of that as a high-level law. And one of the things that happened in Greek society was something called a symposium. Sounds very sophisticated and nice, doesn't it? That's because it kind of was and it kind of wasn't. A Greek symposium was a room with about 15 couches. You could fit about two people on a couch. It was strictly for men. It was typically for upper, higher-class men who had wealth, who were sophisticated, uh, educated, as it were. And in these symposiums, they would bring out wine. And the Greek men would sit around, especially in the city of Ephesus, and what would happen at a symposium is that they would basically get, I believe it was called a crate or a crater. You, you have to Google this. I believe it was called a crater or a crate. I could be off there, whatever it was called. But essentially what they do is they would pour in wine, and it, they would mix it, depending on the symposium leader, they would mix the wine with either one cup of wine to three cups of water or one cup of wine to four cups of water. They would mix it. And over the course of time, and, and we know this from records and stuff, they would have at the party, at the symposium, ten craters. And the first crater represented one thing. And, and, and so by the time the party was over, people had just been drinking. You ever go to a college party and they just like put in all the fruit and they just dump in all of the stuff? Now, some of you don't want to raise your hands because your mom and dad are here, right? That would be a Greek crater, and you'd just start dipping and drinking. And then that would empty, and then they would have another one, and then that would empty, and they'd have another one. I'm not condoning the action. I'm just alert to the reality of what goes on in college, all right? Some of you right now are trying to defend yourself in front of your parents. It's awesome. <laughs> so this would happen at the symposium, and then somewhere around Crater 2, the highly educated and sophisticated prostitutes would come into the room. And... They would, of course, be there, and all sorts of things would go on. We have to understand that in Greek thought, that it's not, and th this is where Paul gets, when he talks to 
Corinth, he says, in Greek thought, it's not okay if I just sleep with a woman because that's extreme. I should also sleep with a man. I should sleep with both. This should be my lifestyle. I have to have balance in my life. This is Greek thought. This is the Greek empire prior to the Roman empire. I need to have balance. And so there would be men there and there would be women there at the symposium. But one of the things that happened in the symposium would be that you would sing to the gods. And you would start off singing. In fact, you would start the symposium with singing. And you would sing hymns and you would sing songs to the gods. And then as you drank, and the more you drank, and the more you drank, of course, you start to lose control. And you start to lose all of your inhibitions. And it would get kind of wild, as I'm sure you can imagine. And so Paul writes to the city of Ephesus, he goes, guys, don't be drunk with wine. It's a direct reference to a Greek symposium where they come together in unity and they sing songs and then they get drunk. And all kinds of things begin to go on. It's a direct reference to a symposium. And he says, guys, this is not okay. Instead, however, when you come together, you should be filled with the Spirit, not filled with wine. He makes a direct correlation to this. And the word be, he says, be filled with the Spirit, in the Greek, is a present linear action. In other words, right now, be filled with the Spirit and continue, literally, be constantly being filled with the Spirit. In other words, it's not a one-time thing, I've received the Holy Spirit. It's a continual process of Holy Spirit, fill me up. So that every morning when we wake up, we say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me up with your desires and your plans and your wants. Fill me so that I lose all inhibitions of myself, but I am fully consumed with what you want and what you would desire. Paul's making a direct correlation between the symposium and them coming together for church. He's saying, guys, when you come together, you should be singing and worshiping, and you should so desire a move of the Holy Spirit that some people might walk in and accuse you of being drunk. But I'm afraid that if most people were to walk into most of our churches, they say, oh, yeah, there's a group of people standing there singing. Well, you sing together at a concert. So what? Well, what happens when... They walk into the room and somebody's kneeling at their chair crying or someone's at the, alt at the altar at the front crying or, or somebody's got their hands raised or somebody's clapping, right? What happens? Whoa, it's, what's going on with that person? Because they're so moved by the Spirit, Paul makes this comparison. Why? Because when people are drunk, they act differently. Right? You guys are like, I, I will not admit that in church. Boy, that was awkward, wasn't it? Silence. We won't, we won't admit it, but when people get drunk, they act different. They lose their inhibitions. The whole dancing on the table and the lampshade thing. Right? <laughs> guys laugh about that it's okay but Paul Paul says that you should 
be so drunk with the Holy Spirit that you lose your inhibitions and that you're willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit asks of you to do, right? Be not drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me, how many of you have ever been around a drunk person and what's, what do they say? It's not me, it's the, it's the alcohol. When's the last time you heard a Christian go, that's not me, that's the Holy Spirit? We are called to be so full of the Holy Spirit that we lose our inhibitions, that we lose our desire to control things, we lose our desire to, to try to have our way. We say, Holy Spirit, you fill me up. So in the in the Greek verb, the word be means to every day, constantly be filling yourself up with the Holy Spirit. Right? So let's look at the analogy that Paul uses. He says, wine, Holy Spirit. I can drink a glass of wine. I don't drink. It's a personal thing. I don't drink, but if I have a glass of wine, I still got control. Do I have wine? Yes. Is the wine in control? No. In order for me or anyone to be drunk and for the alcohol to take over, you have to constantly be filling yourself with the wine. Why? <laughs> well, it's like I heard, a, I heard a pastor say, I leak sometimes. The Holy Spirit just kind of leaks out. And if I let myself, I will just gravitate towards my natural self, right? The, natu- the, 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 the part of me that's not godly. I will gravitate towards that. And so I have to constantly be filling myself up. I have to constantly be filling myself up. You may receive the Holy Spirit at salvation, but that doesn't mean he has control of everything in your life. You have to yield that control. Essentially, that's what salvation is, but sometimes that becomes a process As we understand our identity in Christ, and that begins to work out in us. And so we should become full of the Holy Spirit, so much so that it's the Holy Spirit talking through us. Are you with me? This is Paul's analogy. He says, we ought to be so full of the Spirit, we are more God-conscious than we are self-conscious. But too many of us are too self-conscious to let the Holy Spirit fully have its work in us. Because what will people think of me? Well, that's not how I was taught. That's not how it's supposed to go. Now, the Holy Spirit will never go against his word. So if you say, well, the Holy Spirit's leading me, but I don't see it in the Bible. Well, guess what? It's not the Holy Spirit. It might be another spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. Right? You want a prime example of this? Acts chapter 2. What did Peter stand up and say? We are not drunk as you assume we are. Right? The Holy Spirit has been poured out and we have been consumed by the Holy Spirit. Why? Because everybody looking in went, these people are drunk. And he's like, guys, it's 9 a.m. We are not drunk. Right? That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit, is I am so consumed by the Spirit that the Holy Spirit speaks through me, and and if I let myself go, I will eventually gravitate towards that which is not godly. 
And so I must continually be filling myself up with the Holy Spirit so that when I wake up in the morning, I say, Holy Spirit, fill me up so that my lusts and my desires and my things that I gravitate toward will be pushed away so that I can be filled with you. So when we get drunk, our inhibitions were gone, right? We talked about that. You know what else drunk people seem to be? Pretty joyous and happy. I'm afraid that does not describe most churches on Sunday morning. It's, we come together, we sing our song, we smile, we look at each other, and then we go home. Last time I was around a bunch of drunk people, it was fun. Honestly, drunk, sometimes drunk people are more fun than church people. I ain't gonna lie, get on a cruise ship. I don't say that to guilt you. I say that because Paul says you should be so full of the Holy Spirit that you are happy and joyous and excited and fun to be around. Now, I get that there are introverts and extroverts, right? And why do we always tell the extroverts to talk more? Maybe the introverts want to tell us extroverts, shut up and sit down a little bit more, right? I got an amen. All right, so an introvert just became extroverted. And so, but we should be so happy and joyous and full of the Holy Spirit and excited that I am no longer like I used to be prior to Christ and I am full of the Holy Spirit and I'm joyous and people want to be around me because there's something in me, because there's something different about me. What is it about you that draws people to you? Anybody ever had, anybody ever come up to go, what's different about you? Anybody, anybody, listen, if they ain't come up to you saying that, you might need some Holy Ghost. Right? Look at the neighbor on your left and tell him, get drunk. Turn your neighbor on the right in the Holy Ghost. Get drunk in some Holy Ghost. Fill me up because I got a leak. I leak. I leak the Holy Ghost. And if you get around me, I might leak the Holy Ghost on you. Won't that be fun? Yes. Woohoo. We should be excited about that. So first off, when Paul makes this analogy, he says, don't be drunk with wine like they are at the symposiums, but when you come together in church, you should be drunk with the Holy Spirit. You should be excited. You should be on fire. You should be having fun. You should be laughing and joyous together and quit complaining about what's wrong with the church. Why isn't the couch there and move over there? Why is it blah, blah, blah? Just shut up. You should be excited that God gave you the opportunity to come together with a bunch of other spiritually drunk people to share life with. <laughs> Hallelujah, praise God, I preach myself happy. The next thing, when we look at wine as a, as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, wine expands. Do you know this? Wine expands as it ages. I'm not going to make an analogy between the human body and wine expanding as it ages, okay? But as wine ages, it expands. Jesus points this out in Mark 2.22, Luke 5.36-39. But in Mark, Jesus says, And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. What's Jesus talking about? Well, in this 
story, Jesus is saying that under the Old Testament, with the law, kind of the legalistic ways, right? So if you've sinned, bring this type of offering, and, and on this day, you bring this offering, and there are all these laws you've got to keep. And I'm going to do something new, but if I were to pour out the Holy Spirit in the way that I did, the, the way I tried to bring humanity to me in the Old Testament, it wouldn't be able to contain it. It would break it. But the same is true in our life because we get stagnant in our walk with God. We get stagnant in our churches. This is the way we do it. This is how it's done. And we get stagnant. And the Holy Spirit wants to come in and do something new. But if we don't let him do something new, the Holy Spirit will go to the church down the street and say, you know what? They'll let me do something new. I'll pour my Holy Spirit out there because they're so stagnant and old, they refuse to budge. And a church without the Holy Spirit will shrivel up and die. It's just the way it is. Because the Holy Spirit, as we've discovered already, is like wind and fire. And it's not, he's not going to be contained by our methods. He's going to do something new. And so he will either allow it to happen or he will go down the street and the church that dies will wonder why are they growing and we're not because we're doing everything because you've kicked out the Holy Spirit because you won't obey and listen to what God wants to do. And God will give you multiple opportunities through his grace, but you will refuse it and therefore you will wither and die. And Jesus says, and in the process, you will destroy the wineskin and destroy the wine. Jesus says, you take the Holy Spirit, and I pour it into doing new things in a different way, and you get on board or die. Because God is constantly moving. The Holy Spirit is perpetually moving like the wind and consuming people like fire. But as long as the Bible is a checkbox, as long as our processes are checkbox, you can forget about the Holy Spirit being powerfully present. It's a reality. This is what Jesus is pointing to. This is the whole point of him saying, I can't pour out the, old, I can't pour out the Holy Spirit into, into the Old Testament times because it won't work. I'm going to do something new. But you have to let go of your inhibitions and like the disciples in Acts chapter 2 go, hey, we're not drunk. The Holy Spirit's just doing something new and we don't know what it's up to and it doesn't look like anything he's ever done before. But I'm excited because 3,000 people were added to the church. In one day. And we're excited because we baptize eight people in a year. Do you notice the difference? Maybe it's because we're trying to box the Holy Spirit into our processes. And the way we think church should be done. You guys got really quiet. The Holy Spirit expands like wine. God will not pour his capital spirit spirit into a non-pliable and unwilling vessel. God will not pour his spirit into a non-pliable and unwilling vessel. You might be saved, and you might be going to church, but if you're not willing to expand and adjust and change, Jesus said, I'm not pouring the wine into old wineskins. I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. And yet we come to Jesus, okay, Jesus, do it my way, do it the way I understand it. <laughs> if there's one thing I've learned about Jesus, he don't do it the way 
you think he should do it. He doesn't. He spits into mud. I mean, dirt. He spits into dirt and makes mud and puts it on the guy's eyes. Well, dirt in Jewish culture is dirt. You don't, you don't mess with it. But spit in Jewish culture in those days had healing, considered to have healing properties. So Jesus spits, this is in my notes, Jesus spits into the dirt that is very unholy, but takes something that's believed to have healing properties and he mixes the two together. And he goes, it's not that and it's not that. It's me. Boom. And heals the guy's eyes. He goes, watch this. I'm going to take something you think is holy and something that is completely dirty and I'm going to blend them. I'm going to bring them together. Isn't that a beautiful picture of the church? The church should be so full of dirty people. There should be unsaved people sitting in here this morning. But as far as I'm looking around, I don't see any. We should be mixing the two. Some, there, there's a problem with if there's not unsaved people sitting in church on Sunday morning. There's a big problem. Because we all think we're the Holy Spit. Well, you ain't spit. There has to be a blending of the dirt and the spit to help the world see. And until we get to that point, until we get to that point, the church is going to die. Now, don't get me wrong. The church isn't going to die because it's the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. God's not going to let it die. But it just may not be your local body. The Holy Spirit... The symbols of wine expands, and he expects us to expand our borders and grow beyond. The Holy Spirit, like wine, should expand our lives. You should see the work of God expanding in your life, moving in your life, in your family, changing your family, changing your neighbors, changing the way you view your job. The Holy Spirit should just be expanding in your life. And then the third and final part of the Holy Spirit, it makes way for new. It makes way for the new. In Luke chapter 10, a man comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus kind of says whatever, and then the guy says, well, who's my neighbor? Trying to trick Jesus. Well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus gives a very famous story. The parable of the Good Samaritan. How many of you are familiar with the Good Samaritan story? Yeah. How many of you have been told that it's about being good to your neighbor? Let me see. Yeah, okay. Guess what? That's like a tenth of what's in that story. But that's just the obvious, so that's what everybody teaches. But we want to hear it from a different perspective this morning. So he says in Luke chapter 10, verse 29, he says, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gives him this story. Now, Jesus starts the story very intentionally. He says, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jesus is about ready to answer two questions with one story. Who's my neighbor and how do I get eternal life? 
Jerusalem is elevated here, Jericho here. And the man went from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's symbolic of the fall of man. From a holy place, Jerusalem, to an unholy place, Jericho. And so here's a man that represents the fall of man. And as he is falling, he is attacked by bandits, thieves, whatever you want to call them. Satan attacks humanity in their fall and ravages them, and Satan leaves humanity for dead. Now, Jesus says that a priest, a priest comes by. Well, priest represents the law. Could the, did the law save the man? Nope. Next, come by, next comes a Levite. A Levite re represents sacrifice. Did sacrifice save the man? Nope. Neither the law nor the sacrifices brought salvation. But there was a Samaritan person that really wasn't from, really wasn't supposed to be there. And this good Samaritan goes out of his way from someplace he never was. Jesus steps down as the good Samaritan for humanity. And it says that the good Samaritan poured out two things into the wounds of the man. Oil and wine. Jesus doesn't haphazardly just use things in his stories. You see, this isn't just a story about being good to your neighbor. This is a story about the fall of man. And as mankind laid there, the good Samaritan brought oil and wine. Oil in that day was likely olive oil. Psalm 52, verse 8, Romans 11, 17 through Romans 7, oh, excuse me, Romans 11, 17 and 24. Olive oil is representative of salvation. Salvation with, with oil, it comes in and it begins to bind up the wounds and begins to heal, it begins to, through, through the fat and things in the oil, it begins to pull the wound together, it begins to restore the brokenness of the flesh. Salvation. Jesus came to offer salvation in the oil and begin to pull humanity back to its creator to bind up the wound. But Jesus said the guy poured in oil and wine. Wine representing the Holy Spirit. That not only are we saved, but he wants to pour out the Holy Spirit into our life. You know what wine does? Wine begins to remove the impurities in the dead cells. The alcohol in the wine in a wound, actually, and I got on, you'll appreciate this, I got on a survival website, and they said if you're in the wilderness and have wine, which is probably a bad combination, but you can actually use wine to clean out the dead cells and the impurities making way for new life and new cells to grow. And Jesus says that he pours in oil to begin to bind up the wound to bring us back to him. And then he poured in, after 
the salvation. He begins to pour in the Holy Spirit so that it can clean out the old and that new can begin to happen. And in it, bring healing. And here's what I want to encourage you this morning. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill in our gaping wounds. Where you hurt because of a child, where you hurt because of an ex-spouse, where you hurt because of maybe some church event, where you hurt, say, Holy Spirit, come in and begin to fill and clean out the impure thoughts and the impure attitudes and the impure actions so that new things can begin to grow. Because Paul says you need to continually be being filled with the Spirit. It's not an option. We need to perpetually be filled with the Spirit every day. Because every day we get hurt. Every day we get, and we need the Holy Spirit to come in like new wine and clean stuff out. Holy Spirit, keep me fresh so that I don't become the old wineskin stagnant in the way that I know things. And allow me to grow beyond. Allow me to grow beyond so that I can see you for who you really are. And in return, you'll begin to show me who I really am in you. Let's stand up this morning. I had the opportunity just in the last 12 hours. I'm a member of a Facebook group that is not Christian by any means. And someone, but it's supposed to be like an encouraging group. And, and a man posted a picture of his left hand, and he had no fingers on there, on his left hand. This is just last night when we're in Edinburgh, and she's like, okay, go look for, go look for yourself some new jeans. And I'm on my phone. She's like, you're supposed to be with me right now. Little did she know that I saw this man's post and I was replying. Because he says, sometimes I don't feel worthy and I don't feel sufficient because of my injury. And I can't do what I need to do. And I was responding, I have found that my self-worth and my identity doesn't come from anything in my physical body. If you want to know more, personally message me, PM me on Facebook. So she's like, you're supposed to be looking for clothes. And she gives me the look, like, get off your phone and be with me. This guy, we laugh about it now. She's like, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's okay. You didn't know I was in the middle of ministry on a secular Facebook page. And I, he PM'd me. I said, I want you to know that my worth and my identity come from my relationship with Jesus. And I said, how would you feel if you had all your fingers or none of your fingers, would that change your self-worth and value? If you had all your fingers or if you had none? He goes, thank you. The gentleman lives in some town that I can't pronounce in South Africa. Never met him. But I allowed the Holy Spirit to flow through me. He gave his life to Christ. Just actually not in that instance, but a couple of years ago, and he was doubting his salvation. And I said, no, your worth and your identity come from Jesus and who he says you is, not, not your fingers. When you allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you, you never know 
who you're going to interact with and who you're going to bolster and who you're going to help. And so he and I, over the last 12 hours, and I know there's a time difference, have been sharing back and forth on Facebook in Messenger about Christ. And I said, what brought you to Jesus, by the way? He goes, I went to a tent church in the middle of nowhere in South Africa. And he goes, I watched the pastor as he cast out demons out of people, and I couldn't figure out what he was doing. So I asked what that power was. When you let the Holy Spirit move, you will begin to see things and operate in things that you thought were impossible. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're here, I want to encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to move. I want to ask Josh and Beth to come down here and Aaron and Lori to come down here on this side. If you need prayer for anything, we want to pray with you as we close out in song. You guys ready to have an amazing week? God loves you. Go share that with somebody else. Go out there, share Jesus. Bring somebody back with you next week. We love you. We'll see you next week.